Uh, good afternoon. Thank you, Leslie and Paul. How has your week been? Good. Two of you. Very good. <laughs> we'll be thankful for two rather than one, right? There we go. <laughs> let's take our Bible this afternoon. Let's turn uh, to the epistle of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We'll be uh, reading the chapter of chapter... We'll be reading a whole chapter of four, um, probably focusing on uh, the first nine or ten verses. Philippians chapter four, beginning now at verse one. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche that, be, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose name are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. And not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound, and I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. May God add a special blessing to read him his word. And let's just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, again, we come into your presence thanking you for all that you've accomplished, especially for the gift of salvation, which Jesus Christ took the burden of that, that we had, had caused and took it upon himself and offered us as a result of that crucifixion death, and resurrection, Father, 
to be called yours again for that grace that was unpacked as a result of Jesus' perfect gift. Father, we'll also thank you for the opportunity we have just now to, to be into the Word. We're going to ask that our minds, our hearts, everything that makes us who we are, that it would be open to you, that it would be receptive to the words of the Scripture. We would ask that our teacher exclusively today would be the Holy Spirit and that we would receive it, that our relationship with you would never be brighter, stronger, or more clear than it would be as a result of today. Thank you for what you're doing, and we thank you, thank you again for the season in which we're approaching that birth of Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says that in the fullness of time, at just the right time, Jesus came. Thank you for him coming. Now, Father, take us and use us. Take us where you want us to be. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we had uh, still have a few of the, the list on the board from last week talking about ways to glorify God. And there's one that stuck out to me last week, I guess, in my preparation for that, that I'd maybe like to take just to take a little more time and explore it with a little more intensity. I think it's something that, um, it's interesting, if you were going to ask, um, well, I don't want to say that. There's some, some places in the world that probably would not necessarily view the United States as a, as a good place or a, a, a good nation. But as a whole, there's a whole lot of people that want to come to the United States. And if you doubt that, just look at our borders. They want to come here. Why? Because there's a sense of it's a place to become better. It's a better way of life. It's more money. It's more something. And quite honestly, if you track the history of of our nation, going back into the 1700s and looking at that scant beginnings and the chances of that revolutionary army actually winning against Great Britain would have been nearly zero. There shouldn't have been a chance in the world, but they stood on the foundations of God. They wanted to be able to worship freely God. They wanted to be remain faithful to His calling. And you know what? God honors that. Guess what? With Him, nothing is impossible, which... George Washington and that revolutionary army in places that were so tight, I can't even imagine how tight it must have felt. Uh, a couple of those, you know, and literally under the, under the dense fog, they were able to escape and it, it, just the perfect right time, exactly. As just that was an accident. No, that was God intervening. But, but then as God blessed us, I, and I'm using this also just, just in, right in my mind right now, I was thinking of the Old Testament and God choosing the, 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 the Jews, the Israelites. And he blessed them, didn't he? And it would be like they'd receive that blessing, and guess what would happen? In that time of prosperity, they became... Oh, nobody's going to answer me today. It's, it's okay. I'm not going to bite anybody today. They became, first of all, unthankful. It, oh, I wonder if that's happened in the United States. No. Yeah, maybe a little bit. And, and then pretty soon you take it for granted that that should always be coming this way. It should never change. And then we should be... I'm going to use a word that we use today. We should be entitled to stuff. It's ours. We deserve it. Right? And you know what happens then? We actually want more. And we want more. And we want more. And pretty soon we literally are completely discontent with our lives and everything surrounding us. And I think the more you have, the easier it is to be discontent. And we did, I probably erased, yes, it here. It's right here on the board that erased it. You can see it if you look really closely. 
the sense one way to glorify God is contentment, to being content with your circumstances. And I'd like to, uh, let's take some more time today um, in view of that. Let's look at a couple of verses that we, that I think are uh, incredibly insightful. First uh, Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. Um, wonderful verse. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Well said. And as Timothy, as Paul is writing to uh, Timothy, he's mentoring, what a perfect way to say to a young man. I tell you what, if you want to seek something, seek godliness with contentment. It will be great gain. Another, uh, another verse that is important uh, that seeks us out is in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says this. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content... With such things as you have. And then he says, why? For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. That's a great reason to be content. <laughs> it really is. Uh, because if, if, if you have Jesus Christ, there isn't really anything else you need. Now, wait a minute. You say, well, I have to have food and shelter. Yeah, and if you have Jesus Christ, he knows those needs. You go to Matthew chapter 6. Just maybe jot that down for yourselves. We're not going to go there today. But Matthew chapter 6, beginning about verse 25 through the end of that chapter, talks about uh, the balance of, of us in the sense of anxiety and, and the things that we're concerned about. And you know what? Jesus Christ, God knows about all that stuff. If he, he literally lives within you. He knows it better than you do. So, but that's when you might jot down your notes to take a look at later. Um, but everything in our society today is geared to making us unhappy with our current circumstance. And if you doubt that, go ahead and turn on the television. You know, television isn't really about programming. I'm convinced of that now. Have you noticed? Uh, if, if, you have, if you turn a program on, uh, in between the programming, which you're watching, then it comes a commercial. And it is louder, more obnoxious than the program. Have you noticed that? You have. Okay, very good. So really, what would that be about? Television is not about programming. It's about selling stuff. And pretty soon, you know what happens? If the program doesn't sell stuff, what goes away? The program. Do you see it? Our whole society is about literally making you discontent with who you are, where you're at. It may be your spouse. It may be your circumstance. It may be the place you live. It may, and you see, it's endless, isn't it? Totally endless. Now, someone that is discontented, and for, I want to say this. I'm going to go ahead and just get it out of the way. Discontentment is a sin. That's harsh, but that is true. And that's exactly what happened again. Discontentment, the first time that sin actually was, occurred was the Garden of Eden. What reason did Adam and Eve not to be content? Thank you. That was the right answer. There isn't one. There's nothing of which they shouldn't have been content with, right? And yet, Satan, and he's so good at it today, he's really, really good, pitches the same hook. He says, you shouldn't be content right now. Look what your neighbor has. Look what the other person has. Look what that person has. Look what you should have. Look what you need. Now, there's something else that's taking place. Remember, when, we, when I was growing up, there was this, my, my folks, our, our people would even say, there's a difference between a want and a need. Now, I'm, stay with me for a moment. No longer are wants. No, no, I need stuff, right? The need now has become the word for want. 
I remember there was a Christian comedian, I can't think of his name right now, but he was talking about his son, uh, came up to him, and he, I don't, he was a teenager, and he, hey, dad, I need these shoes. And, and this guy says, no, son, you need 125 bucks. <laughs> That's what you need. You want the shoes, you need the money, right? And I thought that was pretty insightful, and isn't that true? But Really, our society today has become immersed with even not understanding the difference between a want and a need. Isn't that true? Yeah. Very, very true. And, and television, all of supportive society, is trying to get you to be involved in wanting, 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 and even confer, con, uh, converting it to needing. Let's look at, uh, let's go back to Psalms for a moment in the sense of well, maybe begin here. Uh, we're not really beginning here, but I, I would like to look at Psalm 36, verses 7 and 8. And we may just come back and as we finish our time together, uh, it, it speaks to our heart in the sense of what really God is giving to us. Um, when you look at what he provides, and this is a Psalm of David, uh, Psalm chapter 36. We'll look at verses 7 and 8. I know we're kind of jumping in here, uh, but I want to get right to it. <clears throat> Verse 7. Chapter 36 of Psalm goes this way. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. Now, now stop for a moment. There's two things that really about God that we're given right there that he provides for us. Number one is loving kindness. He loves us. Especially now if David was able to say that. Think of what we should be able to say today. We've actually seen the fact that he gave Jesus Christ to die for us and has offered his grace freely, and all we have to do by faith is accept it. That is the best bargain in the universe. Isn't that awesome? And then guess what? Nobody can take that away from you. No lawsuit, no lack of money, no lack of anything can take that from you. It is yours permanently because of what Jesus Christ accomplished. Isn't that something? That's really good. That's really, really good. In the day and age we find ourselves, how elusive financiers are. Aren't they? Just poof, and they're gone. And there's so much more month left at the end of the money. Isn't it? It's crazy how it works, right? So it's loving kindness. But there's also something, did you see, because of that, verse 7, it says, Therefore, because of that, children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. The shadow of thy wings. You just think of that for a second. That's, that's just, it's almost a picture of a mother hen. Have you ever seen, uh, and you don't see that as often now, but I remember growing up as a little kid, uh, we had those clucks. That's what we call them, you know, those, those mother hens. That, they were allowed because they would hide somewhere out in the barnyard, and they had their eggs that were not your eggs. They are my eggs, and if you wanted to take my eggs, you're going to pay. You've seen those. Remember, some, the, the older people in the room remember that, right? I mean, they were pretty protective. And then pretty soon, if you left them long enough, guess what would happen? Here comes this mother hen with this little brood of little chicks. And she is protective of those little chicks in any way, right? And you know what? She would, she would make those little sounds. And you know what they do? They'd run right to her, and they would go right underneath her wings. And she protected them. That's the same picture we have, not only because of God's loving kindness, but his protection, his provision for us. And then let's watch verse 8 now. His loving kindness and his protection move us into verse 8. They shall be abundantly, watch the word. What is the word you have? Satisfied. That's the same word as contented, to be contentment. 
They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. Oh, that's beautiful. While you're in Psalms, let's look at chapter 63. It's amazing the, uh, the message that is throughout the entire scriptures in regards to contentment or satisfaction. Uh, Psalm chapter 63, and let's look at verses 3 through 5. Because thy loving kindness is better than life. Oh, did you see it? Same thought process. Oh, it's from David again. Look at that. My lips shall praise thee because of thy loving kindness. Verse 4, thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied. Do you see it? It's the same theme, the same thing that is just loud and clear. One more. Uh, Turn with me to Psalm chapter 107 and verse 9. 107 and verse 9. Verse 8, we'll start there. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. See, that is, it's, it's absolutely can be done in the sense of satisfaction. Think of the 23rd Psalm with me for a moment. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He can satisfy, he can give you what you need. He provides for you. Beautiful picture. Now, I do want to say, I, I want to take you just a couple. I, I don't want to spend much time here because there's almost a sense of, of a contentment that is not anywhere near to the sense of the pure, righteous motive of relaxing. And there's a sense of contentment as the relaxing in the Lord. That's my term. I, I can't really find that. But really just, huh. you know, I talked about several weeks ago, um, we were studying in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And I remember just sitting in this front row seat. And you see, Jesus wants to be comfortable in your heart. He wants to live there. He doesn't want to just come in for Sunday dinner. He wants to just relax in you. You see, he wants to, and, and that's the really what we should be in him. Because then I'm going to tell you what, things just are really good because there's peace, there's joy. Those are the first two things that go away. When you're discontent, there is no peace, there is no joy. They cannot coexist, cannot happen. So what do we want? Uh, yes, you want contentment because if you have contentment, guess what comes with it? Joy. And peace. Perfect, right? So, so, so see, do, you see the, do you see how it works? You seek contentment? Peace and joy are the byproducts. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Now, uh, there's a couple of... Now, what I'm leading to, I guess I got off base again a little bit. But let's look at something that there can be satisfaction in an evil motive or a contentment that is evil. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. And it actually surrounds this whole story um, about Joseph. And, and there's another word we'll probably be using sometime today. If not this week, we'll be looking at it next week. And that is the sense of God's providence. God's providence. And part of, if you take Joseph's, Joseph's story, if, if you pop into it at certain levels and you just have, get a peek, it's much like our own lives. Have you ever looked in the mirror on a certain day and you say, God, I have no idea what you're doing right now, but it doesn't feel too good. Where are we going with this? Right? No one's done that. Okay, well, great. It's just me, but not a problem. Not a problem. But Joseph must have at times. Now, you, you, find, you don't find anything negative about him or Daniel in the scriptures. Now, they were sinners just like anyone else. But, but it's amazing their perspective was really pretty, pretty cool. There's one time we find Joseph as he's been in prison for doing nothing. Right? He did the right thing. That's why he's in prison. But then think about it. That's why Jesus Christ was crucified, because he did the right. So amazingly, if you do the right, my my motive is this. If you do the right thing, prepare 
for trouble. Well, that doesn't... No, it's not supposed to be right because the world, the society in which we find ourselves living is not right. It's messed up since Adam and Eve started this whole thing. Now, we can blame them, right? Do you see how I did that? It was so cool. Blame them. And it wouldn't have been any different if I would have been there. Okay, I'm going down another trail. I've got to pull it back. Let's reel that one back in. And here we go with Joseph. And looking at him just boom, boom, boom. There's numbers of chapters that surround his life. And in any sliver of that, you would say, boy, this isn't working out very good. This doesn't look very good. It looks like our young Joseph is in a lot of trouble. What's going on here? Where's God? See, that's where is God? And there was one time that Joseph was in prison for doing the right thing. That's where I got off track. And he said to, remember the butler and the baker? Which one was restored? It's a test. Ooh, it's a 50-50. Just somebody take a shot at it, okay? The baker didn't make it. See, I, see, I almost, and you, ever, no, I, I tricked you. It was, it was a bad trick. The, the baker didn't make it. The butler did. And he got restored back to, the, to, to, to being the wine guy for, for the, I don't know what else to call him, right? He was kind of the wine guy for uh, uh, the pharaoh, right? And you guys are saying, what are you doing here, okay? But there was, some, there was something that Joseph asked of the butler. He said, you know, you're going to, and that's how much confidence in, in these dreams. He said, now, this is what's going to happen to you, and this is what's going to happen to you. And he said, now, when you get restored back to the, to the Pharaoh, uh, tell him about me. You, what, what, there, do you see that? God, I, I just don't know what you're doing. I've been here for two years now, and I shouldn't be here. I didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't deserve this. You ever had those thoughts? You don't even ever raise your hand, right? Because that's where our mind goes, because that's another part of contentment we're going to talk about in just a second. But right now, let's look at a contentment that is not right. It's very evil. So here you have the brothers, right? You got Joseph and you got the brothers. What, what kind of guys were the brothers? Especially early on in their life. Jealous. jealous. And jealousy can do a lot of things, can it? It can make you bitter and then bitterness. Once you have bitterness, write, you don't need to write it down, but just think about it. Once bitterness is in your heart, you have given Satan a beachhead into your life and anything is possible. I'm convinced. You show me a bitter heart and I will show you anything can happen because Satan right there it has a beachhead in your heart. Now, that's what happened to these guys. They are just steaming because of this favorite son stuff, right? So let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 37. Let's see, where did I write that down? And verse 27. Now, again, we're just popping in, but you'll get it. Read the whole story for yourselves. Um, in verse 26, let's see. Oh, no, we've got we to go back a little bit. Verse 23, here we go. I like when it says it came to pass, that's a good time to pop in. It came to pass... When Joseph was come on to his, into his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat and his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him, cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Now, I want you to see the callousness of this. And they sat down to eat bread. They just took their brother. They ripped his coat off. Why did they rip the coat off? Oh, because that was the thing that really bugged them. Because their father, Jacob, had given this special son, Joseph, his, little, his sweet little coat. And when they ripped that off, throw him in the pit. Oh, I'm kind of hungry, aren't you guys? <laughs> this is terrible, isn't it? Do you see the callousness, though? Yeah. Okay. Let's keep going. I mean, well, this isn't even part of the text, but we're having a good time, aren't we? Here we go. <clears throat> they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brothers, What profit is us if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Let's make money. 
I, he, oh, that's not there. But it's really what's going on. He says, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh. Watch. And his brethren were content. That's the wrong kind of content. Okay. That's an evil content. That's literally so. Do you see what can happen? You can be so immersed in sin that you can actually find a point. And by the way, that contentment didn't last very long, but it was there. That's a really good idea. Let's take money for little Joseph, and then we don't, it's not our problem. What do you mean it's not your problem? Do you see what I'm saying? But now there's one more I'd like to look at quickly. Let's go to Mark 15. Mark 15, 15. Mark 15, 15. Now, Pilate um, was in a position, uh, probably a higher position than he thought he was in, the, in regards to Jesus. But we need to step back just a little bit further. Um, verse nine, Let's just go to verse 9. And I know you need to, if you, if you hold the whole context, read it yourself. But Mark chapter 15, we'll start in verse 9. Pilate answered them saying, will you that I release unto you the king of the Jews? And what, what the question is, is one time a year you were able to release one criminal, at least uh, that was seen as a criminal. One could be released. And so Pilate's looking for an out. He knows Jesus is innocent. He, he knows that. I mean, there, there's nothing there. And he says, uh, do you want me? And he's kind of like leading the crowd. He says, do you want me to release Jesus to you? That's what we should do. And what do they say? Well, see, they've been coached. They've been coached. The chief priest, I'm sorry, where did I leave off? Oh, verse 10. For he knew that the chief priest had delivered him for envy. In other words, he knew he's innocent. But the chief priest moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them, who was a criminal. And, and, and Joseph answered and said unto them, uh, What will you do that I should do unto him whom you call the king of the Jews? In other words, well, that's not going to work. So, so what, what do you want me to do to him? I'll, I'll do, what, what should I do to Jesus so that we, we get this little thing over with? And he's hoping it certainly wouldn't be what they say. Do you see what they say? Crucify him. Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, why? What evil has he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, crucify him. Now, do you see the pickle that Pilate's in right now? Look at verse 15. And so Pilate, willing to content to satisfy the people. This is a bad contentment. I want to tell you that. So in other words, he says, you know what happened to Pilate? If he said, no, I'm not going to crucify. This is an innocent man. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. And we could run down this trail quite a ways because Pilate was not in a good shape with the Israelites already, with the Jews. He had done a few things, a little sneaky stuff under the table. And I'll tell you one more thing, and he would have got jerked. And you don't want to do that because what? My career, my power, my money, my influence is much more important than Jesus. That sounds familiar. Look what he does, though. He says, how can you be content? What can I do to, to, to make you content? And they cried out the more exceedingly, crucify him. Both of those examples actually show a contentment or a satisfaction that is very evil. Very evil. So we need to be careful. Just because someone's content doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. I would even say without going too far out there, in Washington, D.C. today, there is some contentment surrounding some very evil, evil thought processes. So that's my point here, is we've got to make sure that it's pure contentment. Now, uh, I think we, before we go too much further, um, <clears throat> I want to talk a little bit about content or contentment itself. Tell me, 
and we, we've been digging into it already, but tell me what you think contentment is. What is contentment? Satisfied. Yep, that's good. Satisfied? Satisfied with what God has given us. Oh, is that a, is that, could that be different? Yes. Oh, why? Because it's not about me, it's about what God Oh, my goodness sakes. Isn't that something? It's not about me. That is a revelation that would be brand new front page news in any newspaper in this country. Flash, it's not about me. You wouldn't sell many papers, <laughs> would you? That's not going to work on the front page. But you know what? It's not about you. That was way too loud, but I didn't really care. Amen. That's right, Tony. It's amen. <laughs> satisfied. Now, look, so it's not just satisfied because you know what? Now, by the way, there's nothing wrong. That's, that's a correct answer. But do you see the difference? What we've just done now is we've said satisfied. Let's go back to Genesis 37, 27, when we read that about the brothers. Were they satisfied? Yeah, right? Okay, and then we went to Mark 15, 15, and the people, were they satisfied? Yeah, right? right. But, Ernie, you said satisfied with, God. with what God, and I apologize for my scribbling, but you know what I'm writing, without, with what God has, has what? Given or provided. I like provided. Okay? Anything else? What else would you say about contentment? Peace. And peace comes with contentment, doesn't it? You know, if you're not content, no peace, no joy. It, it can't happen. You show me someone that has peace and joy, and I will show you someone that's content. You can't have them separate. Now, again, you know, wait, wait a minute. You said, well, how about, that? how about those brothers that were, you know, honestly, they may have been content because they were making money, but they did not have peace and joy. You, you, that's right. And if it was, it was, boy, I cannot believe we did that to our brother. In fact, Reuben, he wasn't there. I'm going back to that for a minute. What was Reuben's plan? After they kind of, you know, got over this and they were leaving, he was going to get Joseph out of the pit. Go home, go home. And he came, and what did he see? He was gone. And he was gone. And what did he do? He ripped his clothes, and he said, oh, no. And I'm the oldest brother, and my dad is going to let me have it. Right? But I want you to see, there's another thing I want to see. And this really isn't about Joseph, but it's so rich right now. You know the one whose great idea was to sell? Joseph was who? Judah. 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 Guess who Judah is? He's the one that the line of Jesus came through. Now, listen carefully now. Was Judah ready to be the person that God really wanted him to be? Of course not. It took God a long time to work on that dude, right? In fact, you got chapter 38. I'm going to let you read that on your own. That's a wild, sordid chapter of which Judah is the main character. And you know what? God was working on him. And here's the deal. God is working on us as well. And he wants us to come to a maturity spiritually. And you know how he usually has to do that? It's got to be tough stuff. Because the tougher stuff the more easy it is for him to have us come back to him. And if you doubt that, you go through the Israelite history. The tougher it got, the more they were looking for God. The easier it was, the less interested they were. One of the toughest lessons, and I'm saying this, one of the tough, you're going to say, what did you say? One of the toughest lessons that you'll ever endure is that of a time of prosperity. Why? I kind of like the sounds of that. It's the hardest time to be focused and dependent on God. It's one of, for every one, 
that can handle that lesson that is in prosperity. A thousand can handle it in suffering. Because the natural response for us in times of trouble is looking for something or someone to depend upon. And if you have trusted Christ as Savior, finally, your eyes will get back to Him because that's where, that's where the magnetism comes back to is to Him because that's what works. Prosperity is a whole nother level. It takes, it takes quite a sense of focus and, de- and depend, and I'm saying that, dependence on God, to, to be in a time of prosperity. You can lose your way unbelievably easy. And again, the Old Testament is full of those examples. Now, I have no idea where I was going next, so I'm going to stall for just a second. Um, satisfied. Thanks. Yep. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, I, I wrote something down, as I, and it, it does fit right here, talking about the, the, the test, the test of prosperity. And you said, test? I want to try that test, right? Have you ever? It's, it's a difficult one. It really is. But you know what? Think of this now. Contentment in the sense of prosperity would be to be independent of wanting more. Let me say that again. And this was, this was a flash to me today at about 2 o'clock. To be content in the test of prosperity is to be independent of wanting more. You see what's, what's happened? Now you're not being led or, or guided or pulled from greed, which that's what prosperity does. That's what's happened to America. Prosperity has made us want more and more and more and more and more and more. Show me a wealthy person, I'll show you one that wants more and more and more in every way. That's what John D. Rockefeller said toward the end of his life. He was in his 80s. He had more money mass than he possibly could have even spent for the remainder of his life. And I've told this story many times, but it's the classic. It's the classic. Cause it, and a journalist came to me and said, John D., what? Or no, how, how do you say it now? I've got to get it right. How much is enough? And you're talking to a man when a million dollars was worth a million bucks, right? So a billionaire today wouldn't even be able to cut John's wealth. And he was amazing. How much, John, was enough? How much is enough? And he said, just a little more. That is the perfect definition of greed. I can't think of a better definition of greed. It's to just want a little more. And you know why that pops in? Under times of prosperity. And usually, we want to be independent of God rather than independent of wanting more. See, that's if you can be independent of wanting more, to be satisfied wherever you're at, that's pretty cool. Now, uh, can, somebody might have to help me. It just popped in my mind. There was a construction guy, um, uh, Letourneau. He And this was a man that was very prosperous, very, very prosperous. I, don't, I, we could, we, I, I didn't study his life to, to bring it to you, but incredibly... God gifted him with an enormous amount of wealth. This man passed the test. What he did is he gave 90% to God and he lived on 10%. See, that's one that's passed the test of prosperity. You see where I'm going with that? Okay, really cool. <clears throat> um, oh, I know, I know, I know the next place. We're not going to get very far today. Ernie, that surprises you, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, a lot. Now, now, one of maybe what you're saying, let's talk a little bit about what it's not. What, and you, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Okay. Uh, tell me what a definition of contentment is not. And you say, I have no idea. Go ahead. Thankful. What's that? Thankful. Thankful? You're not thankful. You're not thankful. Okay. That, yes, I, I, I can buy that. I can buy that. 
I, I'm kind of, and I'm not, and you don't know where I'm going exactly because I can see a little bit of a quiz look in your eye. What is he wanting now, okay? What, now see, sometimes we'll just say, okay, in the sense of God, we're just, yeah, I'm content. I really don't care. Have you heard that recently? I don't care. It's everywhere, isn't it? Look at the lack of, of caring about any employee. And I, I'm, not, I'm not picking on them, but just, it, you, I don't care. Not my problem. But I don't care. You guys look shocked. Have you not heard that? What? Whatever. <laughs> whatever. And I've been guilty of saying that. Whatever, right? When you're kind of irritated a little bit, whatever. What are we saying? Are we content? No, we're not content. You, see, that's what I wanted you to see the difference. In other words, contentment is not just being indifferent. It's not being, I could care less. I, it's not that I'm apathetic. No, no. Contentment is much deeper, much richer than that. Because that's, contentment is literally based upon the fact of God. I'm content to be in his care. I'm content with what he has given me. I'm content where he has placed me. I'm content what he is doing in my life. Do you see what's happened? Contentment is all about God because it puts him in charge. Not caring. Who's in charge there? Me. I just don't care. Indifferent. Well, it doesn't matter to me. Whatever, that's his problem. There's a lot of that going on today. I want you to see the difference because to be content is not any of that. Contentment is all about being immersed in the fullness of God. Okay, let's keep going. Um, So, let's see. I'm going to go back. Um, Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, seeing the seriousness of discontentment. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 a verse that many of you have memorized, I'm sure. It says this, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Oh, it starts off with one that's so important because 13 doesn't mean nearly as much as if you, if you don't read 12. Uh, usually, you know, one of the things that's, that really is right behind the sense of discontentment is pride. Verse 12, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. What, what are you talking about there? You're talking about a very proud person. Someone that says, I'm not, does that, you know, it just makes me think of Peter. And what was Peter, what what was Jesus doing with Peter? He was maturing him, wasn't he? He was was getting just a little bit closer to him. One step closer to being like Jesus was. That's what God was doing. And you know, it's interesting, but he was really pretty proud, wasn't he? Kind of outspoken, kind of outspoken. He was really outspoken. He would tell everybody how good he was. In fact, Jesus, I'm going to tell you what, these other 11 disciples, they may be losers, but I'm here for you. I'm right to the very end. I'm not going to give up on you. can count on me. I'll never deny you. And then Jesus said, uh, sorry, Peter, in three, uh, you're going to die me three times before the next morning comes. Oh, not me. And that was exactly what happened. And then what did Peter do? He said he went out and wept. Pride will do a lot of things to you. Now, let's watch that. Let's follow up with verse 13. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Now, let me me read it a different way. You see, sometimes our scripture, have you noticed, sometimes scripture is so, we've read it so many times, we just, and we read it, and our mind is just taking us there. Sometimes it's good for us to see what it doesn't say. This is what it doesn't say. 
There hath no temptation taken you, but as common to man. But God might be faithful. <laughs> Wrong. I, I'm so glad that it's very definitive. It says God is faithful, who will not allow you or suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. That is so strong. And any time that we're discontent, we're denying God to have his will being accomplished. He has us right now, each one of you in this room today, you are in a place that God has allowed you to be. You may not perceive it as being perfect. You may not even perceive it as being pleasant. You may not even see, perceive it as being anything that you want any part of. But God has you right there because he is working a perfect plan for you. And then the really cool part, there's two ways that God, and we talk about providence. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it seems like this is a good place to talk about it for a moment. Because if we really believe God is who he says he is and he's in charge, then we must believe the very essence of what he says right there, that he is able, he is faithful to not take you somewhere that you're not able to handle that. Because he strengthens you from the inside. There's two ways that God works, okay? How does God work? There's two ways. You say, well, let's think about that. You had time to study, and we didn't. Um, So, so for instance, I'll start you on the first one. Uh, Israelites, they're in Egypt. Okay, and let's just kind of come back. What was going on in Egypt? How long were they there, approximately? Plus or minus? 400 years. 400 years. And it was all good stuff, wasn't it? Started out pretty good, right? Jacob and the 70, they come, and, they're, and they were in the land of Goshen. And, you know, the Pharaoh says, he, hey, Joseph's my guy. I mean, he is awesome. He saved the world. Woohoo, Joseph, right? And so Joseph has family. He said, hey, they can live right. That's your country. You do what you want. You're, you're, we love you. We love Joseph. And then pretty soon, what does it say? A Pharaoh came along that didn't know Joseph. He'd forgotten about him. And then what happened? You know, them Israelites, there's getting to be a lot of those buggers. Um, why don't we have them do stuff for us? And not just ask them to do stuff. Let's make them do stuff for us. We're going to make slaves of them. We're going to make these guys really do stuff that we've made. We've got building projects. And so that's what they're doing. And guess what? Do you, do you, now, again, it's kind of a time period. There's not a lot said. But I'm pretty sure when things were going really smooth in the land of Goshen and they were raising their sheep and everything's cool and it's just awesome. I wonder how many times the Israelites were calling about praying to God. I know what they did when they were in trouble. When, the slave, when they became slaves, it said they were crying out to God. Where are you at, God? What is going on? Why, 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 why? And God said, the time has come. And go through the temple. That wasn't easy either, right? Talk about building faith in Moses. What, what, if, what, if, the, what if the ten plagues had never happened? You say, where are you going with that? How strong did that make Moses and Aaron's faith? What if Pharaoh said, yeah, why don't you guys just get out of here? I'm kind of tired of you two, and let's just waltz off. You know what? There wouldn't have been a Red Sea event. It wouldn't happen. Do you see? Those times of trouble make opportunities for God to be glorified. So, okay, now I wanted to get you to the Red Sea. And you know how they got there. Finally, after 10 plagues, the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh does say, get out of here. So they take off. And then Pharaoh says, what have I done? There goes my workforce. Let's go get them. Okay. Now here's the Israelites and they're saying, woohoo, Moses is our guy, right? And then they're walking and they look behind him. 
wonder what that dust is. <laughs> That's the Egyptians. They're not coming to welcome us. This looks like trouble to us. And then they're, uh-oh, we got a Red Sea here. We got Egyptians, got a Red Sea. We got a problem. We got a massive problem. We're dead meat, right? And what did they, they were saying, why didn't we just stay in Egypt? Why did we go? Have you ever done that? That whining? You ever hear that whining in your house? Why did we do that? Why did, what, what does God think of that? He doesn't like it much. He doesn't like complaining and whining. How do I say, you're, you're, move on, Larry. This is sickening, right? Okay. But, but now God, God does something. Now God is working and he does it really cool. Moses puts his staff out. Red Sea splits. We got a wall on each side, a wind comes up that's gigantic, and it's dry, and the people walk across. Now, what was that? That's how God, God works that way, and what is it called? A miracle. What is a miracle? It's, it's not explainable by natural, by natural events, okay? And God does miraculous things, doesn't he? You may have had something happen in your life that there really isn't any, there's, there is no explanation for it, okay? And then the other way is... Literally a word that I used earlier today. This is a little bit of a test. I said to remember this word because when you're talking about it, it starts with a P, ends in an E. Uh, the second letter is an R, O, V, I, D. Are you guys going to get this or not? Providence. providence. Yes, there we go. Okay, he works by providence. What is providence? That's like taking the 50 bazillion circumstances that are just happening, just normally going along. And God just moves around and moves this piece and this piece and this piece. And then he takes this over here, he puts it here, and then brings that person over here at just the right time so it all works out. Now, which one do you think is tougher? <laughs> oh, I'm just going to do a Red Sea event over there. This one's going to be difficult because I'm going to have to work with a lot of people. You know, he's working in providence in your lives right here today. He's bringing people, places, things, circumstances that's bringing you closer to him if you yield to the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? And providence is what he wants you to feel good about. He wants you to trust him. That's what Joseph did. That's a, that, that truly is one of the purest illustrations of providence, is to watch this young teenager Joseph that is sold into slavery into Egypt, does everything right, ends up in every place wrong, and it all works out. And you know what? Even if it didn't, God is beyond this physical life. That is so awesome. I mean, if it was just this, if it was just this life, it'd be a little tenuous, wouldn't it? But it's not. It's way bigger than that. God's providence is beyond what we can see and feel here. It's in heaven, because that's He is in control of eternity. Eternity. Do you know? I was just thinking right now. We haven't even got to the first one yet. <laughs> so let's change that, huh? What do you think? Now. Uh, let's go to Philippians. We're pretty deep into this study today. We haven't even went back to our text. Philippians chapter... Let's go to chapter 4. And I want you to see something as, we, as you go there. I want you to think again. You already know what I'm going to tell you. Where is Paul as he's writing this letter? Prison. Uh, tell me something more, though. Tell me about him. How, when's the last time he was in Philippi? Again, I may be just rounding this off, but it's okay for, for what we're doing here today. It's been about 10 years. It's been 10 years since he's been there. And a lot of things have happened since then. He's now imprisoned. He's in Rome. And not only is he just imprisoned, he is because they don't want this guy to get away. He's like a personal prisoner. They don't want anything to happen to this guy. And they've known somewhere in the past, there's been some weird stuff that's happened to him. Because 
they'll, they'll have him in jail, and all of a sudden, jails pop open, and there's earthquakes, and he walks around, and he's praising God. And we, uh, so what they do is they literally chain him to a guard, and they switch off. I don't know if it was eight hours, 12 hours. I don't know, I don't know about that, but they were, he was chained to a guard. And I'll, t- I'll show you how we know that in a, in a moment, okay? And so think of that for a second. How are you, slip, into, slip into his sandals for a second. How are you doing? These circumstances seem troubling. And again, why is he there? Because he stole something from the 7-Eleven down at the Roman Cathedral at uh, the Avenue A? No. He is there because what? He was preaching Jesus. Yeah, he's, he's, he's preaching Jesus ultimately, isn't he? And they say, away with you. And you're, what, what again, I, I, Paul is so cool because he's an example I want, you to, I want you to think about. And in fact, he even asks the same thing. Let's go there for just a second. If you're in chapter 4, I, where did I take you to chapter 1? Let's go to chapter 4. And I want you to see something in verse 9. We're popping way ahead because it's actually, we could stop here because this would be the number 7-1, but we're not going to do that. I'm just going to let you see what we're going to probably be into next week. And it says in verse 9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. What is he saying? One of the best ways to be content is to watch somebody that is. <laughs> I remember uh, growing up even as a youngster uh, in the farming and ranching community, um, there would, you know, and we had moved around in different places. And there would be some, a neighbor or someone would be described this way. That guy over there, you watch what he does, and if you do that, you're going to be okay. Because they were a good example, at least perceptive-wise, in the area that they were good farmers. And I could name some names. And by the way, they were. They were very good. They did, they did everything well that they were doing. They were an example. They were someone to follow. This is what Paul is literally saying. And it seems, you say, well, that's a little arrogant for him to say. No, no, no. Think of where he's at right now. See, it makes more sense to the Philippians. What he's just said is he said, I'm in prison. I'm chained to a guard. And I don't know how long I'll be here. And it's for the wrong reason. But I'm okay with it. That is the guy I want to follow if I want to be content. Right? Show me the guy that's in the worst situation, the worst possible available opportunity of anything. And, I, and he says, I'm content. I'm okay with this. Because God has me here for a purpose. Now, do you know, it's sometimes hard to see purposes when you're in prison. Because you wonder, what in the world is going on? Joseph. Now, it said that he was actually... I see Joseph just keeps popping up today. You know, he was doing well those two years that he was, that he was uh, in prison. Boy, I can't believe I'm in prison, man. This is so terrible. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so mad at God right now. I just cannot believe this. No, what does it say he was doing? That was pretty bad, wasn't it? It was pretty bad. <laughs> you guys bought it, though, didn't you? You were right there with me. I know you were. Okay, but then you're saying, well, what did he stop? You're saying, well, what did he do then? Okay, so let's go back to Genesis for a second. Let's go back. Hold your place. We'll be back in Philippians. We are going to go through this study sometime here this next year. Well, that's not very far away, is it? Actually, we think about it. Let's go, to, let's go to Genesis for a second. Let's go to Genesis and let's find. It'll take me a little bit because I'm not sure where it's at. Um, okay, we're past that. Da, 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 da. Um, yeah, here we go. Um, oh, let's see. We're going to be in chapter 39. Yeah, um, here we go. Let's, and again, what's happened is Potiphar's wife has, uh, has really seduced him. He has run away, which is the right answer. 
and he left his coat, and so she makes up this lie. And then it says in verse 19 of chapter 39, are you all there? Genesis 39, verse 19. It came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. Now, that, can I say this for just a second? Where does your mind go immediately? Who was he mad at? That's what you'd think, right? What would this guy done to an Israelite that's just a slave if he was really mad at him? He'd have killed him, right? I think he's really mad at his wife. I'm still convinced of that because what does he do? He drops him into this place, the prison. And you say, well, that's not exactly nice. Well, let me, let me stop again. He's really mad at his wife, so what's the next thing he's got to do with Joseph? He's got to put him somewhere where his wife can't get to him. So she can't get to him. I'm sorry, that didn't sound quite right. You ever thought about it that way? That's what I think it really is saying. It doesn't say who he's mad at, but he's really mad. Well, look at this now. Here in verse, uh, you say, how did you get off on track? I don't know, it just hit me. Um, Here we go, verse 20. Joseph's master took him, put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in a prison. Now, see that? Now, right there, you're, you're right away thinking, oh, that is awful. That is so crummy. That is so bad. What is going on? God, where are you at? Let's look at the next verse. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. I wonder why that was. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did, there he was the doer of it. The keeper of the keeper of prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made him to prosper. You know what he's doing? He's literally serving. In fact, let's keep going. Verse 40, or chapter 40, verse 1, came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth, angry against these two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. He put them in the ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with him, and he, and he served them. What? Joseph, who's a prisoner, is serving other prisoners? Contentment. He's okay. You know how I know? God is with him. God is there. That is so cool. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Why are to be content? Think, think back, 13, 5. Why? Are we going to have to go back there and look? Let's go look. Let's go look. That's what your Bibles are for. <clears throat> Watch. It's the very same thing, I believe, in, in Joseph's life. Let's go back to Hebrews. Excuse me. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let's read it. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have, even if you're in prison. For he, this is why, there's there's a colon there, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now what did Genesis be very clear about? Where was God? He was with Joseph. I'm telling you, wherever you're at, if God is with you, you're okay. In fact, you're better than okay. You're perfect. Was that too loud? Over the top? That's what I'm talking about. It's amen, isn't it? That's right. Now, where was I going? Oh, going back to Paul. Okay, let's go back to Philippians. We're not even going to get a point in here. I'm telling you. You have faith in me, don't you? 
<laughs> You're already in the next year, aren't you? Well, way to go. Way to go. Let's go to Philippians. Let's go back to Philippians. And, and so let's, let's, again, just pop in with, with uh, Paul. He's a prisoner. He's chained. He's captive. He's been ridiculed. In fact, you'll find in chapter 1, I think we should, we'll do that in a minute. But he was literally, here comes some preachers in behind him. They're coming in behind Paul. Guess what? Paul's captive. He's prisoned. He's, he's over in Rome. He's got nothing, right? It's going bad. And they are ridiculing him. Saying, yeah, see that Paul guy? He's a little bit too loud. He's a little bit outspoken. And guess what happened to him? God took care of him. He's a prisoner now. He's outside of God's will. But we're here to tell you the truth. How does that feel if you're Paul? Oh, that's even worse than being in prison, isn't it? When somebody's taking pot shots at you, you like to be ridiculed? Please say no. No, it's terrible. But that was, Paul was being ridiculed. He's being slandered. He was being persecuted. And yet, he was absolutely correct. But here's the really cool part. He was also untouched by circumstances. Isn't that cool? Philippians is all about he was untouched by circumstances. And when you're untouched by circumstances, you can be content. If circumstances, in other words, where he says, rejoice in the circumstances. No, that's not what he said. He said, rejoice in the Lord. Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. That's a command, by the way. And Paul said it. I didn't. In other words, my command to you, because Paul said it, is get out there and rejoice in God. That's pretty bold. That's pretty broad. That's pretty, that's what he said. And he said it because I can say it, because my situation is worse than you can imagine, if you're talking about situations. See, this is the guy I want to listen to. This is the guy I want to look at, right? So let's look at how Paul sees his circumstance. Let me see if I can do this. Well, let's, let's read. Uh, how can I do this? Um, I'm actually jumping ahead. but We've been talking about providence. So I'm going to just, let's just do this. Let's go back to uh, Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to pop in on verse 12. Verse 12. We're going to read verses 12 through 14. Uh, But I would that you should understand, I want you to understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. In other words, what he's saying is, the reason this happened to me, that I've fallen into these circumstances, guess what's happened? The gospel has been furthered. Jesus Christ has been told to more. He sees it as a benefit. What is his... You know what? Circumstances didn't mean anything. He believed in the providence of God. He believed that God was in control. He believed that God had him exactly where he wanted him to do exactly what he wanted him to do when God wanted him to do it. Now, you see, everything's changed already, right? You're saying, that is so cool. So why do we have trouble picking that up? Okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, Verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Keep that in mind. Listen, remember that word palace. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. And some also of goodwill. See what he's saying? There's, there's some that came in and ri- ridiculed him. And that, in strife and envy where, yeah, Paul got what he deserved. He's in prison now. Don't pay any attention. You know what he's saying? 
even so, Christ is being preached. That takes an amazingly strong man that's content in God. I'm going to tell you something. That is a strong, strong believer. Strong, strong believer. But look at this. Turn back to Philippians chapter 4. As you're turning there, think of who's in prison. (laughs) I'm going to try to play this out for just a second. Okay. Now, Paul, actually, Paul, you're going to be Paul, okay? You're going to be Paul, because you're a Paul. You're in the front row, and, oh, we've got to have somebody. We're going to have an imaginary friend, okay? And he's a guard that's been with Paul now for 12 hours. And he's been chained to Paul for 12 hours. Who's really a prisoner? And not because of you, Paul, but I'm telling you, Paul the Apostle, and you're chained to him for 12 hours? You are the prisoner. You're going to hear about Jesus for 12 hours. And I don't know if it's 12, but you know what I'm saying. Okay? And here comes comes the next guy. He's changing out, right? His name is Fred. Oh, my glad to see you, Fred. I could not take this Paul guy any longer. I know, I know, I know, I can't. I don't know if I'm going to make it the next shift, right? (laughs) And you say, Larry, you're making that up. (laughs) No, I'm not. Because God did a miraculous work in Caesar's palace. Well, Paul, who was, quote, the prisoner. No, he was the preacher. The prisoner were the guards. And there were at least some that found Christ. How do I know that? You turn to Philippians 4. Let's go to verse 22. Let's go to verse 22. Verse 21. Verse 21, I'm sorry. Salute. This is his ending notes. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. In other words, there's there's some visiting. In fact, Epaphroditus, I'm jumping ahead for just a second. This was chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 21. Okay? But what has happened now, it's not... Philippians chapter 4, verse 21. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren which are with me. And you're saying, well, why are the brethren with him? Okay, what's happened now is literally, did you find it? Where you were doing what I was doing last week, I was in Nahum and not Habakkuk. Well, very good. At least I'm not the only one. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Here we go, though. Um, (laughs) Here we go. I got to get back where I was at. Um, Shoot. Missed it now. Um. Oh, the bre- yeah, the brethren which are with me. What, what, what do you mean? I thought, Larry, you said he was in prison. Yeah, you know what's happened? The, the, the Philippian church heard that, that Paul was in need. He's in a desperate need. So they sent a gift, and Epaphroditus, which you'll find in about verse... Where's Epaphroditus? I can't see upside down, but where's he at? 18, yeah. I have all in abound, and I'm full, and having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. Okay? So Epaphroditus brings their offering to him. And see, this was a prison that you could have visitors. And Paul would have counted that as a tremendous opportunity because guess what the guy that's chained to him now? He's got two preachers. They're talking about Jesus all day long. And Epaphroditus is bringing this gift, and Paul was rejoicing, right? So all of those brothers that would have been coming and going and seeing him, He says, hi from them. But watch verse 22. Back to our context, what I was talking about before. All the saints salute you chiefly, chiefly, they that are of Caesar's household. 
How do you think they got saved? <laughs> By Paul. Why do you think Paul was there? Because God wanted him to preach to Caesar's household. Why are you going through the toughest time you've ever had in your life? Because God's got something that he wants you to be part of doing for his work. And you may not know on this side of heaven. You may not know. But you'll never be contented unless you trust God in his providence. And that might be enough for today. Amen. What do you think? <laughs> yes. I do believe there were some believers in Rome already that were at, the, at Pentecost. I think there were some Romans at Pentecost. That would have went back. Went back to mm -hmm. Rome. Yep. That, when, I think that was why Paul went there to begin with, is to straighten them out and get their beliefs on, and doctrine all you know, lined up and be correct. Some maybe. Yeah, there would, there would have certainly been a group there. Yep, would have been a group there. But to get within Caesar's household, that's tough, right? Caesar's, the, he's the whoop-de-doo. And I don't think you'd knock on Caesar's door and say this. Uh, I'm a Christian and I want to talk to your household about Jesus right now. I don't think so. Right? But what if, what if somebody came in as a prisoner? We got to protect this one because he's got away before. So we're going to keep him chained. Right? And you say, God is cool, isn't he? Yeah. You know, you go to the book of Esther, and you said, I thought you were going to stop. Well, maybe not quite. Think of Esther. That's a, that's a book that's really interesting. God's name is not mentioned one time in Esther. You will not find it in the book of Esther. But I'm going to tell you what. Every single verse is full of God's providence. You watch how God worked through that book. That is one of my favorite books because you can just see God working at every single level. And Haman thinks he's such a good guy. He's so stout. He's so powerful. He's so amazing. And God said, no. No. There's guys today that think they're really something. And without God, you're nothing. You're nothing. I want to come back. I, I think we are actually literally think, and you say, you did not even give us one point. <laughs> Technically, you're right. But we talked a lot about contentment, didn't we? That's right. Be content in all <laughs> That's things. That's my point. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about contentment. And, and I want it to be, because I, I, I really think this is something, not only, and I've talked about our nation, but I'm ta one of the most discontented groups in America is the church. Is the church. Why? Because we're too interested in stuff and programs and people and things and activities and, and <laughs> curtains and carpets and chairs and chalkboards and organs and pianos and pictures and air conditioners and stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff. And we're not content with Jesus. We're not content with Jesus. Did you? I want to say it again. The church is not content with Jesus. I pop, just pop in my, in my head. Revelation 3, verse 17. Let's go there. There's something here about rich. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3. Verse 17. This is a picture of the church, probably even of today, a message to Laodicea. Verse 15. I know thy works. Jesus does. He knows what you're up to. You're neither cold or hot. I would that thou art cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth because thou sayest, 
I am rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked, and discontent, and don't even know that you're missing me. And he goes on to say, and you know, this, this is used as a salvation message, but really it's about the church. You know, Jesus isn't even inside the church of Laodicea. He's on the outside knocking, wanting to come in to the church. Let's read it. Verse 20. It's crazy. I, I had to do that because I want you to remember that forever. As many as I love, verse 19, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Turn around. Behold, verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, open the door. I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And that does say if anyone, op- not, if, if you listen to Jesus calling in your heart, yes, he's there. But that was for a church that didn't even have Jesus inside. Oh, and men and women, loved ones. There are literally hundreds of churches today in America that Jesus is not inside. And don't know he's not. Isn't that something? And it's all because the lack of contentment. And you say, that is enough, Larry. Yeah, it probably is. But is this not something we need to be charging down this avenue? We need to be smoking down this avenue. This is so vitally important for us to be content in Jesus Christ. Because we'll never have peace and joy without being content. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love and care. Thank you for your word. So powerful, so concise, so overwhelming in a sense of its far-reaching to the very depths of our heart. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, the words that were used today, that the Holy Spirit ministered to us, we would ask that you would use them, not only today, but every day. May you bring to remembrance what we as individuals need to hear from you. Thank you for all of the examples that you used today of Joseph and a man that was content with your providence. He was content to trust in a God that could be trusted. Father, may we do the same. No doubt, Father, there's many here today that their circumstances are outside of where they've ever been before, that they cannot understand, they've never seen, they don't know what's next. The future looks so difficult. It's almost unbearable. Father, I ask that you would put your arms around them. You would hold them. That you'd love them. Lift them. And Father, whisper in their ear, I'm with you always. And when we know that you're there, and anyone that has trusted Christ as Savior, that's made that commitment, that's a guarantee. You've promised it in your word, and you cannot break your promises. But to know that you're there, you're always with us. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. And when it's enough, then we can be content. Father, you have great plans for us in this room and outside for those that have trusted Christ. You're interested in us being conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. You want us to become like him a little more all the time. And you know just how to get us there. And it's not the same for every person. Let us not compare ourselves to anyone else because you know the perfect way for us to be just a little bit more like our Savior. And Father, you've got a lot of work to do. You've got a lot of things to do. You've got a lot of places that you want us to be part of. Use us. Direct us. Father, 
do whatever you need to do to make us like Jesus. Thank you for not stopping. Thank you for loving us enough to not leave us the way we are. Thank you for growing us up spiritually. Thank you for maturing us. And Father, may we have the faith, the trust, to trust you where you have us today. Thank you for all that you're doing because we know it's right, we know it's pure, we know it's true, we know it's right on because you're sovereign and you're working it for our good and your purpose. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.